Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Cavalry Audio. I'm Clint Emerson, and welcome to season two of Can You Survive This Podcast, where the interview is just as dangerous as the scenarios I put my guests through. From hostage situations to natural disasters, carjackings, active shooters, and more, if you're looking for the skills necessary to survive these situations, then this is the show for you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Can You Survive This Podcast. Today we have an English-American actor, producer, singer, and former model. Oh. God, I wonder if he's hot. He has appeared in films such as Helen of Troy, Anaconda, uh, the uh, what? Jeez, Resident Evil, Rambo, Transformers. Holy fuck! Uh, welcome to the show, Matthew Marsden. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing really well, thank you. How are you doing? Man, you've racked up a bunch of stuff you've done in the entertainment world. I mean, the model, the singer, the producer, the actor. That's a lot of that's a lot of check marks. Yeah, well, you got to you got to be able to uh, move right and uh, and be able to be multifaceted and and make money however you can. You missed this one, by the way. That, that's kind of a big one for you guys. Well, right? Black Hawk oh, Down. that's right. Yeah, Black Hawk Down. We're going to get into that. In fact, okay. uh, we're going to do this rapid fire, and uh, it's set up so that we can uh, when we circle back around to the why why you pick each answer that you picked, we can talk about mm-hmm. some of these things. So, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Boxing or Taekwondo? Boxing. Okay. Whiskey or beer? Whiskey. <laughs> All right. The big city or the outback? The outback. Yeah. The uh, scuba or skydive? Scuba. Rambo or Rocky? Rambo. <laughs> uh, predator or alien? Predator. A fast bike or a fast car? Fast bike. Blondes or brunettes? Brunettes. That was fast. Hollywood or Broadway? Hollywood. And then, of course, last but not least, Navy SEALs or Army Rangers? <laughs> the Army Rangers. All right, Rangers, and yeah, that you know, we'll, we'll, we'll we know why we're getting there. What we'll, was going back to the top? I said boxing or taekwondo. You pick boxing. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, you've got some experience in that, right? Yeah, I have experience in both. Um, you know, I, I'm a black belt in taekwondo, but boxed and trained with uh, Richie Woodall, who was the WBC super middleweight champion. 
So, uh, yeah, I have a bit of experience in both. But, you know, I guess Hollywood experience in it, like not real experience. But. Yeah. So is, is it something you try to blend in as a workout on a regular basis or is you were prepping for, you know, uh, a role? Yeah, well, initially, I mean, I always wanted to do uh, martial arts. I've always done some kind of fighting since I was a kid, but actually I, I grew up really poor, so we couldn't afford to go and go to those classes, even even um, even when it was like, I guess, a buck fifty back when I was growing up. So when I actually got the opportunity to be able to be self-funded, I went back and I did my black belt in Taekwondo. But the reason why I, I chose Taekwondo was you know, I already had like decent hands from boxing, but for film, it's obviously better to do, you know, the flashy kicks are in. Are in uh, yeah. so, and, and, if, and if anyone has ever had any experience with stage fighting, it's always a lot more um, exaggerated. You know, you have to exaggerate the moves. It's not like a real everyday uh, uh, fighting technique, like, Krav Maga or whatever like that. You, you very rarely see it. I mean, they started doing that with the Bourne series and, and all that, you know, the more close contact stuff. But originally it was, you know, if you look back at all the great movies over time, it's, you know, the Chuck Norris movies or the Bruce Lee movies, even he used, um, you know, those those bigger Taekwondo leg kicks. So yeah. that's why yeah. I did that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's, it's more on the side of per professional development. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, whiskey or beer? You went with whiskey, so you're you're a bit of a whiskey connoisseur, right? Yeah, well, I, I actually I tend to like the cheapest stuff. I'm so low rent, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I, I have a I have a 25 year old um, Lafroy. I'm a, I'm a very peaty whiskey kind of guy, and I much prefer like the thirty dollar bottle that's a ten year. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I moved. Out. I've never really been one for beers. I'm I'm not really a beer drinker. I don't like the way it makes you feel. Uh, but uh, actually, when I had my first glass of Lafroy, that's the thing that started getting me into um, into whiskies. And uh, I've actually got two really great bottles that I have in home. I've got one that was sent to me by Dale Sizemore, the guy that I played in um, in Black Hole Down, which is Three Rangers. And the other one was from uh, Hooten, Norman Hooten, who, who was Hoot. So uh, I've got those in my uh, in my bar, just waiting to share them with the boys themselves when they come into Texas. So oh, yeah. nice. And you mentioned Texas. Now, are you living here now, or I am? Yeah, I moved to Dallas. Oh, all right. So yeah, we're neighbors, and we'll we'll definitely yeah. have to get together in our off time at some point. Um, okay. Then we said big city versus the outback. You picked outback. Are you kind of outdoorsman more than you are like a city guy, or? No, actually, I'm. You know, I grew up in a in a very industrial area, and then you know, lived in London, lived in Manchester, and then I moved to to LA, which is you know hardly the boonies. Uh, but I I actually love that way of life. I love uh, people that are that are um, you know more in the I don't say like the outback. You know, I don't know what you'd you'd really call it, but I, I love I love country living. Mm -hmm. I love being. So, and they're my kind of people. I think as you get older, you kind of appreciate the slow pace of life uh, and also uh, appreciate nature. I mean, I think that one of the things that people don't really understand about Americans is that, like, you can still get killed out here by wild animals. Like, you're never going to get attacked by a wild pack of foxes in Somerset, you know. But here you can get eaten by a bloody bear. Right. You can. <laughs> yeah. And it is massive. And there are like, it, 
it's like in Australia, right? You know, there's there's none of the ten deadly snakes in the world, so it kind yeah. of gives you more of an appreciation for real life. So uh, you know, I have I have camped a little bit, but I'm I'm most definitely more of a like an RV guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those days are over when we sleeping on the floor and and doing all those crazy things. <laughs> my my back just won't take it anymore. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. The van life thing has definitely become popular. Like, uh, the, Glamp, what do they call it? Glamour camping? Glam, glamping. Glamping, yeah. So I can never can pronounce that crap. But uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of sort of. You, you got a fire, but you're you're still going kind of going indoors. You know, it happens to be a home on wheels, and you're you're still protected from the elements at night. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, then we did scuba versus skydiving. You picked scuba, and yeah, you're so you're a master diver, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a dive master. I really. Uh, I really love that, and I think that when you when you do something like that, you really should get to a a decent uh, level of proficiency, you know, because you know a, a little bit of information is dangerous, right? I mean, the amount of times I see people that are like, "Yeah, I've got my uh, open water paddy thing, and I've been, I want to go deep, I want to do this," I'm like, like they don't comprehend all the things that can go wrong. And for me, when I went through my rescue diving course, that was the first point where I was like, "Oh shit." Like mm -hmm. even for me, it was a, it was a switch, you know, like how you've got to respect the element, uh, and all that. So, uh, and also, I mean, I've, I, I have done a jump. I have done a parachute jump, very lame. I did it with, uh, uh, well, the fact that I did a tandem is lame, uh, but I'm actually not, not very good with heights, but I actually, it's funny cause I, I, I called the SEAL team six guy friend of mine and I was like, dude, I'm due to jump. I hate heights. And he was like, Matt, it's just like jumping onto a bed. <laughs> and obviously he's done thousands. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. bed at like fifteen thousand feet. But uh, but it was great. No, I, I enjoyed that as well. But I, I love. I think you know what's interesting about when you start diving is that when you look at the ocean, it's kind of like seeing the Serengeti in your backyard, right? Mm -hmm. And that was certainly the case for me in in it, it, when I was in California. Because you look out there and you're like, wow, there's a whole world down there that I want to go and explore and enjoy. You know, whereas, you know, you'd have to travel quite a way to get there if you wanted to get to Africa or something like that to see that, right, that right. kind of wildlife, you know. Yeah, I think the recreational diving world is cool because no matter where you really go, like on vacation, if you're into obviously beaches or, you know, even lakes, it, you can always scuba dive almost pretty much anywhere you go, you know, unless you go into some landlocked area that has zero water. But, you know, most of your... Some of the best diving I've done was in rock bottom lakes where it's crystal clear. You can see everything. And, uh, you know, it's, it's much different than like an ocean, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's more, it's calm, it's peaceful in a lake versus like an ocean can be turbulent and crazy, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I love that stuff and, uh, I, feel, I wish I could do more of it. Um, is there any situations you've been in where that rescue diver dive master skills started to kind of come into play? Do you know what? That's a great question. So uh, uh, the people will remain nameless, right? But uh, I just, I'd literally just passed my rescue diving course and I'm out in Fiji and I'm going and taking, going with a bunch of people and I'm not the, I'm not the dive master. I'm not the instructor that's leading the dive, right? So, you know, yeah. I know when to sit down and shut up, right? Uh, so I just sat there and, and we started doing the buddy checks, right? You start going through the checks and everything. And these guys were just like blowing it off. Not the actual dive master that was leading the dive, but people in the in the group. 
And I was watching my, I'll never forget it. I, I turned around to the dive master. I'm like, they're not doing their checks properly. He went, if they die, they die. You know, like, and I was like, holy shit. Like they had a different, <laughs> a completely different mentality. Wow. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, he was like, I'm not going to save them. These like guys that are coming here from, you know, foreign right. parts. So anyway, we, we, we go in and we start descending and sure enough, like I'm at the bottom, there's like, you know, these rainbow eels there and I'm looking at it, it's really beautiful. And I just see this guy like, like, you know, it's like, right. When, the, when the air goes out, because they have these big eyes right in the mask mm-hmm. and he's coming up and he's going like this. I'm like, shit. And I, I know it sounds silly. I mean, you guys train for it all the time, but, um, even just being calm enough to go boom and give him your, your octopus. So anyway, I give him his octopus. I give him my octopus and I'm like, okay. And I start calming him down and I look now, like another guy is coming to me like this panicking. And I'm like, I'm fucked. Like these guys, uh, <laughs> cause you know, it's like they climb you, right? Yeah, they, yeah, they, they climb you like this and they'll grab you. They'll grab you, your, um, They'll, they'll grab your uh, your regulator and everything. I mean, it's different when you got rebreathers and that, but but you know, and he's grabbing from a regulator, right? And and luckily, I got a breath before he pulled it out of my mouth. Mm. And I was like, and you know, you're trying to like calm yourself down. We're down about a hundred feet, and I'm like, this is not going to end well. But you know, I kept breathing. You know, I get my breathing out, and and I, I started getting them to do um, to to you know, buddy breathe. And I'm kicking up, right? I'm like, we're going up anyway. To a long story short, we're kicking up, kicking up, and I feel the the tank go dry because they're sucking. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, this is it. We're done because I've got two guys hanging on to me. You know, it's not going to end well, and we just broke the surface. And um, I got out. We're going to the boat, and they thought it was the funniest thing ever. Honestly, the oh, guy man. thought it was the funniest, and, and he's an actor that's that's actually working right now so i won't say what his name was and he was like dude we nearly died i said you're a fucking asshole i hope i can say that on this i'm like you know this is really serious like next time do your checks and do things properly it's not a joke uh if i hadn't have done that rescue diving course clint i would have been you know i would have been in deep trouble yeah it sounds like really deep trouble yeah and that's where people let fear turn into panic you know and then of course in the water you know, they, uh, they, they do what they, what they exact, everybody acts exactly the same, the panics, they start just, you know, literally doing water tackles of anybody that's around them to try and save them or help them. Then they just calm down and like, go, Oh, wait a minute. I can just go to the service and start breathing air again. Right. They, they think they're like contained underwater when the reality is all they have to do is surface. <laughs> you yeah. Know? It's crazy. yeah well, well, that was, it's the mentality, right? Yeah. Like you, you have to like, try and be calm in that situation. And I don't think I would have been if I hadn't have gone through the training before. And the guys told me that this is what happens. Like they climb you, they're going to pull your regulator out. They're going to push mm-hmm. you down. They're going to rip your mask off. They're going to do all these other things. And, and so I could see it coming. Right. So even though, I mean, my octopus was long enough for me to keep the other guy kind of at arm's distance, but it, it everything slows down. Right. Like I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. And everything was really slow when it was when it was happening, and I'm sure it went like that. Yeah, you know. But uh, but again, it's like you you have to take these things seriously. It's like you know, any any messing around with a weapon, you're going into a hostile environment, you know, underwater. 
And again, like you say, it's like that, that ignorance, a little bit of information is dangerous, right? Mm. A little bit of experience is dangerous. Anytime you're diving, I mean, you're the, the minute you start to the minute you end, and even when you're on the surface, safety is, you know, it's got to be paramount or else things can go south very quickly as you uh, definitely experienced and testified to. But good job yeah. on that, man. That deserves a good pat on the back for sure. Yeah, I was, uh, like I said, I was very fortunate that that was in that run of events where I'd literally just done that course. And and that's why you have to, you know, when people just go out and do another dive again, it's like, if you haven't done it for a long time, you get rusty, you need to go out and you need a refresher, you go get yourself back into it, remember all the checks and, and all that, and check your gear, right? Like, check all oh, yeah. of your gear, make sure your reg works properly, um, and, and just... Don't play around, right? Safety is important. That's right. That's right. You're listening to Can You Survive This Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows. Moving through our rapid fire, we got Rambo versus Rocky. You pick Rambo. I think I know why. <laughs> yeah. You uh yeah so you played a role in the that was the latest Rambo movie right I thought that was pretty well, good. They just did Rambo Five, uh, which was him uh, dealing with like cartel members. But uh, but here's a little bit of information that you might find interesting. So when I went up an audition for this, it's funny because how Hollywood is, right? They call me up and they're like, <laughs> they want you to go in an audition for Rambo, and I'm like, oh, what? Are you kidding? Like they're doing another Rambo, right? Because the last one was Rambo 3, which was like, you know, Afghanistan when the Russians were there, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I was like, really? And they're like, you want to do it? I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> we, all, we all grew up on that, right? We Hell all, yeah. By the way, yeah, and that was one of the things I always remember growing up thinking, we're going to be okay, right? Because America has Rambo. Like, of course we're going to win the Cold War. Um, so anyways, uh, I go in and I auditioned for, uh, the role of Lewis, who is the British SAS guy. And the role I went in for was a Navy SEAL, hmm. uh, a Navy SEAL sniper. And they call me back and they're like, and, and that role, the Navy SEAL sniper was meant to take over from Rambo. Like it was the next generation of Rambo, kind of like what he did with Creed. You oh, know, so yeah. the, the, and he becomes like the mentor. He was going to come like the Troutman character. And uh, and so I go in and I start talking. He goes, I want you to do it in your, your regular accent. And I'm like, damn it. You know, like I really wanted to play. Because I played an Army Ranger and I you know, played a Marine. And I'm like, I want, I'd love to play a Navy SEAL. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, you sure? He goes, yeah. And I said, well, if we can do that, you'll get this. Other people that don't get it. I said, make him SBS, right? Because, you know, the Royal Marines... Uh, um, and there's a link to the Green Berets, obviously the Royal Marine Green Beret. And uh, and I said, make him an SBS because there's like a, a, a more than a little friendly rivalry between the SAS and the SBS, which I'm oh, sure yeah. you, yeah, you're yeah. aware of. And uh, and so he was like, boom, next day. It was it was in there. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he rewrote it. And then uh, he also gave me like this, this monologue in it where I was like talking about my rifle and this and that. And I went and I went, I said, these guys would not do that. So they would not do that. I, I know these dudes I said, and they would not like yabber on and blah, 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 blah about this. And he was like, uh, 
Shit. I know. But neither of us were. He said, I pun up two lead characters that, that, aren't, that don't talk in the film. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, he then changed it when we were over there filming. So uh, unfortunately, you know, Schoolboy, which is the, you know, the character that was meant to go and take over the franchise, didn't take over the franchise. So a little bit of a, oh, a bummer there for right? me. But yeah. Yeah, I had no idea that there was like a setup to kind of continue on with the different character. Huh. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Kind of on the same note, predator versus alien, you picked predator, you know, that was just thrown in there mainly because predators are pretty badass. I mean, have you followed that whole, like the trilogy with, you know, all the different movies and they're all, how they're all interconnected between alien and and predator and Prometheus. Are you into any of that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I started watching the first Prometheus and then I I kind of lost interest after that. I mean, you know, I'm very fortunate to have worked with Ridley Scott and and now Ridley. And so I always love his work anyway. So there's a difference between like, you know, watching it for, it's very difficult, right. To watch something for entertainment when you know, the people involved or Mm -hmm. Uh, you're in that kind of industry. Um, So yeah, I watched Prometheus uh, I, I was meant to do Alien versus Predator myself. I was meant to be the the lead guy in Alien versus Predator, but that was all, you know, it was all things that messed up back in the day. Because I know Paul Anderson as well who directed that, so that was the first kind of crossover between the two. Mm-hmm. But it, listen, it's hard, right? When you grow up watching Predator, I mean, the, the original Predator is great. The second Predator is great as well. I, lo- I love both of those movies. Uh, have you ever seen, by the way, the fact that, and a lot of people don't know, Jean-Claude Van Damme was the original Predator? Oh, God. Did you know that? <laughs> no. <laughs> so there's footage of him, no joke. Go watch it, there's footage of him in a red suit, like lizard suit with this weird head, and he's running around, and he, just, he thought he'd be fighting Arnie, right? He thought it'd be uh-huh. him and Arnold, and it's totally not. So he was like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> and he's out, right? So, uh, so it's really funny footage. It's, it's really ridiculous. So all you know, the stuff like where it's all the wave stuff, which was which was really, you know, groundbreaking at the time. That's Jean-Claude Van Damme. Hmm. I had no idea. So is he actually in the credits? I don't think he is. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know, but you should. That, yeah, I'll have to look. Do. Yeah, yeah there's footage, and it's the goofiest thing. It's like like this kind of weird like praying mantis type thing, which totally would have killed the. I mean, well, there wouldn't have been a franchise, right? It would have been a horrible movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you gotta yeah. have you gotta have that evil looking, four tooth snarling, you know, dreadlock wearing, uh, whatever the hell that alien in order to, uh, yeah, really. Oh capture an audience <laughs> yeah no it was amazing that's funny man um all right fast bikes or fast cars you pick the fast bike yeah you have well, a favorite i used to, well i do i mean there's bikes that i like to look at uh which aren't i'm six three so i don't really look good on those little bikes but um <laughs> i used to i used to race uh fire blades so I went through a period of my life where I was doing track days, learning how to race with a world champion called Ron Haslam. I mean, this is the great thing about acting, right? You get to work with these amazing people. I've, I've been able to train with your boys, you know, with the, the CAD guys. You, you get to experience really amazing things. And that was one of the things I did was I, I went and learned how to ride competitively with a world champion. And so the buzz of being on that bike you know, there's just you and, and you oh, kind yeah. of won with it. Um, 
And also, you know, if you're out in the street, you, I mean, you, you can buy a bike that's like seven grand and it can do not to 60 in 2.9 seconds. And you got to buy a Lamborghini, you got to drop a hundred grand or more to get uh, <laughs> yeah. the same performance, you know, but I wouldn't do it now. You know, I have kids and I'm like, my God, what was I thinking? You know, but um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I like I'm, I'm I'm with you. I like fast bikes. I mean, I, I like them both, but I've grown up on motorcycles and you know, my the first bike I learned how to ride was a Honda Goldwing, which is this monster. Oh, yeah. it's, it's not a fast bike. It's more it's a cruiser with, you know, hard cases and a stereo system, but being 140 pounds, you know, driving that thing around certainly uh made me better when it came time to get on a sport bike, which, you know, then I had ninjas and CBRs and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, but yeah, there's nothing like getting out on the road and, you know, un unlocking a, a throttle and just going as, as fast as you can, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, it's funny. I had a, I had two ZX nines and I always loved the ninjas, but I wanted to get the, the GPZ 1100 originally because, because the top gun, right? I mean, this is the influence of, film. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and now I'm more of the gold ring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just like to potter along, you know, especially in Texas <laughs> yeah. with all the bugs. Like, I mean, right. it's uh, but it's a real buzz. Yeah, it's a real buzz, especially banking those things over into a turn. You know, it's yeah, sexy. It's good stuff. Um, all right, we did blonde or brunette. You know, you picked the brunette. Are you married? I am. Yeah, so is she a brunette? Yeah, okay. I was checking. I, most of yeah. the time when I throw that stuff at guys, they uh, what was funny is who was it I had on and I said blonde or brunette and he said blonde and I said, Well, what's your girlfriend? He's like brunette. <laughs> yeah, you're like this is a this is a show about surviving. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, you want to live on the edge. Yeah, it was pretty funny. Um yeah, so you, kids, you got a family? I have eight kids. What? Eight yep. kids. Mm -hmm. That's like a fire team and a half. That's you know pretty... it. <laughs> yeah. All right. What's the age range on that? So my oldest is 23. Uh, yeah. He's from previous relationship in England. And then all my kids here, are they're all at home, 15 down to two. And he's wow. awesome. Yeah. Wow. And and my oldest actually uh, is, a, is a water polo player. Oh. So, yeah, yeah, he's a swimmer. And uh, it's funny because, you know, talking about the field teams, out in California, there's tons of, like, water polo and, right. and swim teams. He was on the Rose Bowl swim team. We come over here and we're like, yeah. where's the swim team? And they're like, mm. so we have to drive. We have to go quite a bit to get him into the water polo. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, it's not as popular here in Texas. You know, it's all about football yeah. here, but. Yeah, they're like, put your speedos on. I'm like, hey, listen, <laughs> let me tell you something. The the water polo players, they're animals. They can mock them. They're, they're tough. They they're are really tough. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's like it's wrestling, it's swimming, uh, all combined together. And in all the water polo guys that uh, go to buds usually end up crushing everyone when it comes yeah. to any of the water events i mean they they're they're incredible athletes that don't get enough praise for being badasses you know it's uh yeah water polo guys rock um okay then we went to uh hollywood versus broadway um yeah it's really la versus new york what are your thoughts on that yeah well you know i mean to me when you said that i kind of go to the west end 
right? Like in London, which is the same thing as, as Broadway. And I think yeah. that, you know, I made a decision early on in my career that what I didn't want to do was continue to do roles that have already been done before by people before me that are, you know, I mean, there's so many great, especially in the UK, there's so many great like Shakespearean actors that are just badass. And it gets to the point where you're like, okay, I'd love to do Hamlet, but am I going to be, I'm going to be compared to Kenneth Branagh and John Gilgood and, you know, all of these other guys. And I feel like, I, you know, you kind of pay your dues, right? You pay your dues there. I did theatre. And now I'm like, I want to do fun, fun things. I want to mm-hmm. ride on the side of helicopters. I want to, you know, shoot guns. I want to do this. I want to do that. So it was more about, um, you know, more about originating roles. Yeah. And, uh, and, and playing characters, you know, like, and, and really interesting and be, being intimate with it, right? So you can bring people into that world. Whereas, you know, you go into Broadway, number one, it's a slog. You got to do it every day. You don't get paid a lot of money for it. Whereas in movies, you come in and you, it's like lightning in a bottle. You can, you capture that character and you move on. And I kind of like that, you know, I kind of like creating these new, these new characters. Yeah. No, it sounds interesting. I, and I agree. I, my, I mean, I'm a total outsider of that stuff, but I always kind of look at Broadway as like, yeah, it's serious. And then, you know, Hollywood is more fun. And I, I, that's exactly how I view it as well from, you know, a third, por- third party point of view. We will be right back after the break. Seals versus Rangers. And of course, I set you up with this when you picked Rangers because, you know, quite frankly, you don't look old enough to have been in Black Hawk Down. I mean, that was uh, how old were how old were you when you were, you had to have been pretty much acting your own age in that movie, right? Uh, well, you know, it's funny because I I landed right in the middle. So you had you had the younger guys that were 21, 22. Yeah. And then you had the older guys that were in their 30s. So, you know, obviously they wanted to make that delineation between the two the two groups. And uh, I was 28. So I was right in the middle. Oh, okay. And of course, yeah, and of course in the movie uh, my character or the you know, the actual person that did it, it splits off and goes with the Delta guys. So the majority of my time was with Eric Banner and the Delta, the Delta team, and not really with the Army Rangers. But, you know, that movie, I cannot tell you how much it changed my life. Hmm. You know, um, it, it was a real moment for me. And I, I've never been the same. Uh, so, I mean, firstly, you know, coming from the UK and, and you know, you you ask. I mean, you've worked with the guys. It's more like, okay, we're going to go and do this. It's not really for queen and country, like like a lot of the guys. They, they don't do it because you know they really want to you know advance freedom or they're really necessarily patriotic. I think that comes with it. Like I got one of my closest friends was a grenadier, and he just got into a bunch of fights, and you know, we were like, <laughs> yeah. I'm good. I'll be good at this, right? Um, mm-hmm. That's a that's a simplified version of what happened to him. But I was working. We were doing, um, you know, uh, CQB uh, uh, training in Fort Benning, and um, I went outside because obviously, you know, we were, we were going in like four man teams, you know, to do the room breaching and stuff like that. So I was outside, and you know, being the actor, I was. And I didn't really know that much. I always loved America but I didn't know why. So I'm sitting outside and I'm talking 
to this young ranger, got to have been like 21. And I said, uh, why did you join up? You know, I just wanted a motivation. Like, why, why were you there? And he said, uh, for freedom. I wanted to fight for freedom. And dude, clink, it's like someone went, boom. I was like, you'd die for me, wouldn't you? Like, for my right to be free. And he went, yes, yeah, sir. And I'm like, greatest country on the planet. These guys are awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's, you know, who does that, right? Who right. does that? And then, obviously, within a year, Twin Towers happened. Those guys go off. The guys we're training with, uh, one of them, I remember, you know, vividly, you know, he died over there, got killed after multiple tours. And um, it just made me just go, who are these guys? Who, who, what kind of a man does this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really respond to that. You know, I really, you know, that, that, those are my, like you guys, my people, you know, I'd much rather be around veterans and, and, and active duty guys than I would people in Hollywood. It's, it's, it's just not real life, you know? So to me, my, you know, my core who I grew up with, um, you know, it, it was very much people that would go into the, the armed forces or certainly more real. They wouldn't do something fluffy like what I do. But so since then, obviously that movie had such an impact on so many people. And I get these young guys coming up to me who have sacrificed so much and they're like, thank you so much. And I'm like, what? Like, mm-hmm. how, what are you thanking me? I, 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 you know, I didn't do it. I, I, I did my job. Right. But I'm not taking a bullet. I'm not fighting. I'm not, you know, and the humility really has made a lasting effect, you know, on my life. And so, you know, and it's it's very humbling to always be linked to the the 75th Ranger Regiment, and and they have a very special place, and the Rangers have a very special place in my heart and in my life. You know, so it was a it, it was a really amazing experience. Yeah, no, it sounds like it, and. um I mean, for those listening, Black Hawk Down represented when, uh, you know, there was basically conflict in Somalia, just like there is still today. It hasn't changed very much. It's a it's a lawless country. It's pretty much considered either denied or, uh, you know, semi definitely semi-permissive to non-permissive environment because there's no real government. And the government that they do have resides in Ethiopia. It doesn't even reside in their own country because it's that hostile. Um, and it's been that way for a very long time. And, um, you know, back then, uh, it was an area of concern and you had, a you had, uh, the United States had a presence there. Um, and long story short, if you haven't seen the movie, a black hawk, a black hawk gets basically, you know, shot out of the sky. Uh, and then it just leads to chaos, um, where everybody in the streets has guns. Um, and you know, a uh, one one or two guys taken hostage and then it turned in it went from a small mission to a much bigger mission and became a big mess and then eventually um you know u.s forces got control of the situation and but there was a lot of lives lost and uh, uh and it's an incredible story i mean and that's i think that's the piece you're part of the storytelling that keeps the history yeah. and the names and the guys alive and that's where guys like me and everybody I know appreciate guys like you that have played those roles and kept the story going and, and, um, and kept that 
that piece of history uh, alive in a format that, heck, you can play the movie over and over and over again. I think that's the coolest part about movies is, you know, you can throw it in anytime you want and go right back in history. Um, Because I feel like, you know, where if it's a Black Hawk Down versus a Rambo, you know, Rambo is a fictional thing, you know, where Black, I mean, that's real. And that's the kind of stuff I like personally. So, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And, you know, I I think that one of the, one of the really important things about that film was everyone took it really seriously. You know, we took the training very seriously. We made sure we moved properly. We had one of the armorers uh, was a former army ranger, mm-hmm. you know, and they told, I mean, I remember like, you know, it was the first time I'd ever got hold of a weapon and I've got the weapon and I moved like that and a flag someone, dude, I got punched so hard in the back of the head. <laughs> yeah. like, I've never done it again. I'm like, I was like, what? He goes, you never flag someone. You never put your weapon across the back of someone. You please that. And of course, I know the team guys go up, right? But you know, the the rangers, the army guys go go low for go go under, right? So um, I never forgot it, and it was the right way. And I, I think that they, one of the things I'll never forget, we were at Fort Benning, and the night before we left, we got letters from signed by the men that died in the mm. operation. Wow. Uh, oh, dude, it was um, it was something. And and oddly enough, that band of guys that did that film are really close now. You know, we got a little snippet of what it's like to be you guys in, in a very kind of like you know toned down kind of way. In, the, in yeah. the camaraderie, in the you know your ranger buddy, you go everywhere with your ranger buddy, and you know there was something about going to a foreign country, like going to Morocco, everyone being together. We all had the hind heights, right? You know, the, the ranger guys and we, the battalion rangers came out with us. Um, uh, you know, and it was, um, it was really quite something to be a part of. And, and like I said, I mean, I can call any of those guys right now and it's, you know, we're, we're really close. So it's, uh, for people that don't understand, you know, like I said, we got a little snippet of what it means to be in a, in a very tight community. And it's, it's yeah. really quite amazing. You, you know, it's really quite something. It is. Yeah. I think the camaraderie and it's what you started with, you know, people join and, you know, maybe it's patriotism and freedom, but the reality is it ends up actually being because of the guy next to you, behind you, in front of you. That's where the service really, uh, resides. And it only gets those bonds get stronger and stronger every time you deploy or, you know, even, you know, you play hard, you fight hard and in all aspects of life, you know, you're with these guys and it becomes your primary family, your real family back home, you know, becomes secondary. And it's, yeah. it's sad to say it, but it's the truth. And it almost has to be that way if you want to win. Um, yeah. but yeah, so, okay. So, um, you, you did so was that your first big was was black hawk down kind of like the beginning for you like oh yeah. wow okay now things are moving yeah. okay and then yeah, what, what came after that slow, right <laughs> <laughs> yeah what so you stepped off the uh, you stepped off of that set and then how did how did things start to fall after that well it was it was a weird thing because around that time it's hard for people that don't understand the industry around that time like it was kind of like the british invasion because there was a bunch of that movie was all the young up and coming actors that were the young almost 28 but all the young up and coming actors that were that were doing things in hollywood 
So it was a bit mental, actually. It was a bit crazy, you know, going into Hollywood with all those guys because we all came over. And it was like offer, offer, offer. Got with, you know, ended up being with the biggest agent in Hollywood. And then I, I got off of the film. And it's funny because I went from, like, auditioning to people calling up saying, will you do this? Which shows you what a crock of shit, like, the audition process yeah. is, really. Because even when you go through that that process and you're auditioning, there's somebody that's already had the offer that's mm. bigger than you, that's a bigger name. They might not be right for it. They might not even be able to do it. But because they have a bigger name, they get the offer. So the next thing I got after that, I did a, a TV pilot with um, with a guy called Simon Kimberg. And Simon Kimberg has gone on to be Mr. X-Men, and, and, but it was his first gig. And I did that with Jerry Bruckheimer because I worked with Jerry before, uh, and it, it wasn't picked up. And then I got Helen of Troy. Um, I had another movie off it, and then I got Helen of Troy that I decided to do, which was filming in Malta, and that's how I met my wife. I went over there and, uh, and, and did that. And then, oh, was, right. you know, I, I didn't really want to be – I didn't want to do anything. You know, I didn't want to just do any movie. And I wanted to gear my career towards doing as many things for veterans as I possibly could or playing military roles because then that gives you an opportunity to go and raise money and, and do charity and all that kind of stuff for the veteran community. So, uh, you know, I, I, I deliberately went that way. And, you know, it gets to a point where you're like, I'm going to wait for that movie, I'm going to wait for that movie, and then it doesn't come. You're like, well, I've, I've got to pay the bill, so I've got to go and do one. Yeah. Um, so then I did like Anaconda, Anacondas after that, and um, and as you said, Resident Evil and um, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, no, it's a, you're you're in a lot of action roles. So I mean, yeah. action is kind of obviously you gravitate towards that naturally. Is that is yeah, that, yeah? You try to jump on those. Yeah, yeah. I thing? mean, I, I just enjoy it. And at that point, there was a real gap because you know if you think about it, you got. Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt, the kind of as, as ventured it, has gone more into the action stuff. But then there was nobody. Like there was in that time in 2000, in the early 2000s, there was nobody doing action. The Rock hadn't come out. I think he did like the, the Scorpion King in like 2005 or something like that. So there wasn't anyone that was a serious actor that was doing action. And that's where I saw the niche. And I love doing it anyway. You know, I mean, what's, What's not to like? I mean, you know this. I mean, you know, flying around in a black hole for 40 minutes with a bunch of Navy SEALs, which I did in for Transformers, or, you know, being on the side of a little bird, which I went and did in Black Hawk Down, or, you know, having all these great experiences. Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. You know, I, I, I gravitate towards that. So, you know, and you make a lot of great friends as well. Yeah, no doubt. It sounds like it. I've had very little experience when it comes to filming and sets and all that. But, um, recently I had the opportunity to hang out for a little while and in a very short period of time, there were, you know, three or four of us that bonded really yeah. quick because you're living, breathing and working together 24 seven. So, uh, and I can also see how that could turn into a train wreck really quick. As soon as there's oh, one yeah. person or a couple of people that you may not like, or your personalities clash. So, and that's no different than in the military and you're, you know, stuck in the bottom of a ship for six months because you're the SEAL team on board and you're surrounded by 5,000 Marines and, you know, and, or you got all it takes is that one person that's a, annoying or, you know, I had one dude who, uh, every night 
red lights would come on and I would hear him breathing really, really hard, you know, and then on a ship, you sleep in these like coffin beds with these little curtains. And uh, I would open the curtain up and look out in the red light and his breathing hard, crunching sound, breathing hard, country, crunching sound, breathing. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And I look out there and it's a, uh, it's a buddy of mine. He's a seal, and in the middle of the night, he's standing there butt naked with just his tennis shoes on and a bag of Doritos, and he's doing push-ups. He's doing like 40 push-ups, then he'd get up, eat Doritos, then he would do 40 push-ups, eat Doritos, 40 push-ups, eat Doritos. So he's working them off, right? He's yeah, like, he's just, yeah, yeah. He's burning it off while he's, uh, while he's intaking, and it's, uh, yeah, but those are moments where you're like, you know what, this is, uh, this is a... This is this is an interesting life and lifestyle that I'm living, but I I kind of correlate that to my little experience on these sets where you know there's weird stuff going on all the time, and you either embrace it or you know you find another find another path. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's kind of a it's it's a weird scenario, right? So like, especially when you get people that will like let's say play a superhero, and they end up thinking that that's that's that they can do it right like that's them they're tough guys they're this or or oh, you know yeah. in the same situation when you have like two people that are playing lovers you it's 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 hard to explain to people like you you like to so you slam together there's a lot of pressure actually because you know it's like hundreds of thousands of dollars a day to have you there you're with that person you're eating with them you, you you're doing all these things you're on set you're intimate and you're doing stuff that you wouldn't normally do, right? But like, like, so I got married. I got married, and then I got on a plane, flew to China, and did a movie. And I was in bed with an actress the next day, huh. right? So, hang on a minute. I went and I said, I'm going to get married. I'm marrying this woman. I'm never going to be with any woman ever again in my life. But then the next day, I'm in bed with a with a beautiful woman. Like, it's kind of like, whoa. So it kind of messes with your head. And and then there's also, obviously, as you would have seen, enablers, mm. right? There are enablers there that don't go, hey, stop that shit and do your job. You know, I, I had one guy who was on set once where they were like, his tra- like literally was one of those, like, his trailer is bigger than mine. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Like, get-. And I said to the producer, I went, give him my trailer. I'm number mm-hmm. one on the call sheet. I'm on set all day anyway. I don't care. I don't have the ego. Now, normally, you know, you can imagine what that was like if it was you guys in teams, right? You just slap him and, you know, say, just stop it. Well, they certainly wouldn't make it to uh, to the one uh, yeah. group that you were in. Like, they wouldn't make it through that process, right? Because they're like, he's not on the team. He's not one of us. So, uh, But there is that enabling, and it gives them these, like, massive egos and sense that they can do everything and a disconnect from from real people so i mean that's why you know i love being in texas because people are just real you know they they don't care really about what you do you know they they that's been my experience anyway you know they just yeah cool okay in fact they'll go well don't be weird you know don't be like that lot out there i'm like i'm not i'm not you know (laughs) yeah don't don't california my texas we keep saying that it seems to be repetitive on a bunch of these uh last couple of interviews you're listening to can you survive this podcast thanks for tuning in please make sure to subscribe rate and share on the iHeartRadio app apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows 
Yeah, I mean, it's a great state, and everybody here is pretty laid back and humble. And uh, I think that's key to just about, you know, getting through anything in life. You got to just remain humble or else, you know, you'll definitely run into somebody faster, smarter, uh, bigger than you that will humble you if you're not already humbled, right? So Yeah, it's the law of the jungle, right? I mean, that's, that's the right. way it is. And that's, listen, that's what I love about Texas. Like everyone, although everyone here drives like they're maniacs. Yeah, right? that's, I've never, that's what I like. <laughs> hey, listen, I did, get, I, I did get my truck though. I've got my truck. And, uh, now I've got my truck. There's a little bit more respect. But you know that the other guy could be packing. Oh, yeah. So you're a little bit lighter on that, on that uh, horn. Right, like you know, when you know in California, same guy, there, 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 and they're all like this. Here, you're like, excuse me, um, I'd like to get past that's right because you might have, you know, you might be packing something, and you know, and armed society is a polite society, yeah. So it is. And here's the thing. Here's the little thing. When I was in California, I was constantly stressed in about getting the concealed carry, Mm -hmm. and now I'm in Texas. And you, it's a, it's legal, you know, it's a constitutional carry state. I don't worry mm. about it anymore. You know, yeah. it's not at the forefront of my mind. You know, I feel like everyone's a little bit like, hey, let's be nice with everyone. And I'm like, That's right. mm, the, great, the great equalizer, right? It is. The great equalizer. It is. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, going backwards, you got married and then you end up in a sex scene. So are you guys butt naked or how does that all work? I, what are those fake um, things? What is that called? What's the proper term for the fake, like a fake penis and fake hair or something that covers oh, everything? I, I don't know about that. I thought there was some uh, name for those, those fake um, prosthetic no, things. No, I mean, like, like sometimes you can, you know, you'll have like what they call pasties for the girls they put on their parts mm-hmm. and and for the most part, I mean, I've only done one thing where it's been more kind of explicit, and but still, like you, you know, you just wear like flesh-colored underwear. Uh, uh. I've never really done anything where you've had a sock on your old boy kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, but but you know, I mean, it, it is. Look, it's not sexy when you've got three hundred people watching you. It's just well, maybe it is for some people, but you know, um, yeah. you know, it, it's it's kind of not what people think. You know, right. you you're wary of the camera. You know, and, and by the way, and it's always a weird thing as a man, right, that you're going, I've got to, like, how do I, you know, is she going to be like, get away from me? Or, you know, are they going to be, is she going to be offended? You know, when mm-hmm. you, it's a really weird, like, situation. And, um, and again, the fun thing is, is when you do more action roles, then you have less of those kind of roles. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. I can say to my wife, I'm like, listen, I'm doing Rambo. I'm shooting people with, with a Barrett, you know, no sex scenes. Cool. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm doing Transformers. I'm, you know, I'm running around with a bunch of, you know, I'm not getting to bed with anyone. Cool. Because it doesn't matter, like, how, how, um, how, how I am in that scene, you know, it's always going to be odd for your wife to be going, oh, yeah, you go and go in bed with Heather Grant. Like, that's cool. Like, they're never going to do that, right? <laughs> well, mine isn't anyway. Which yeah, is what I'd have happens, to assume. You know. Yeah, I'd have to assume whether you're a husband or a wife, you know, it's like when the opposite is jumping into bed with, the, with uh, some other person yeah i think it's easy to forget when you're watching the big screen that it's basically a clinical setting 
right? Yeah. It's very clinical, right? You got cameras, yeah. you got lights, you got people sitting there telling, hey, do this, do that. Okay, now oh, let's do this over again. Let's do it over again. Yeah. Let's do it over again. To where the, you know, you, the, all of anything that was sexual goes away, I'm guessing, pretty quick because oh, oh, yeah. it's oh, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, don't get me wrong, <laughs> there's, there's certainly like, it's like anything when you've, when you've been intimate with someone, whether it's even Kissam or whatever, then there's a barrier that's gone, right? Like there's, there's, there's a certain, yeah, you know, it, it's like even if you're at a bar and you, you know, when you're single and you kiss a woman, you see them the next day, there's a difference, right? There is something that is different because you've, you've taken away that barrier. And it right. is really weird. It, th- mm. There's no doubt it's weird, but it's not what people think. It's not like, you know, oh yeah, great. You know, you're going to go into that. You're like, yeah, I've got, like some makeup person, like, you know, with a brush touching my backside, you know, and, and can you move that arm up a little bit? Can you do this? I'm like, it's not sexy, right? It's yeah. just not. Yeah. That's interesting. It's always kind of funny to talk about that stuff. Um, all right. So rolling out uh, Transformers, that's obviously a big deal, right? Mm-hmm. So what, what, you were playing a Navy SEAL role in that or what? No, in turn. Tra- and in Transformers, that was a really weird thing because, and again, it's actually, uh, nod to a, another Navy SEAL by the name of Harry Humphreys. Oh yeah, who was he was the tech advisor on on Black Hawk Down, and so I go in and meet with Bade. And um, listen, I love The Rock, I love Bad Boys. You know, I'm like uh, total. I think he's probably the best action director in the world. Uh, and so I'm, I'm like loving going in and meeting him. And uh, and I had to do. Here's the funny thing. <laughs> When you do those military roles, a lot of the time they want you to like calling coordinates, which is like the worst thing as an actor to do. Like it's really tough. <laughs> that's why really you want the real guys to do it, and that's why yeah. Bay uses the real guys all the time. Uh, and so I come in, uh, I, I do the you know four nine or blah 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 blah, and he says, "Well, when you do a British accent again, I'm like okay," and he says, "I'll write a role for you," and I'm like, "Great," and we had like no script. I mean, there was an outline, but we had no script. So I was on that movie for like five months. And uh, we, myself, Tyrese and Josh, did enough uh, just on the military side of things to do its own movie. Mm. And you don't, I, I watched the movie, I'm like, I've done this for five months and we're hardly in it. <laughs> and then they messed up my credit as well. On top of that, they messed up my credit. So I'm like, damn it. But, uh, but that was, you know, that was my, so I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about this. If you want. So it's kind of funny. So Harry Humphreys comes in and he says, right, Matt, well, you're a, you're a captain, right? So you play a captain, you're a captain. And we're doing all the training. We're doing overbounding with a bunch of guys at Jet Reeves and, you know, a, a bunch of other team guys. Cause he, he brings in a lot of team guys and yeah, a couple yeah. of army rangers. And, um, and so we're doing all this training and then, there's a scene where, and again, you don't know what the movie's going to be like. Like this could have been like this massive battle scene, and he comes up and um, and he goes, uh, "Okay, Matt, pick it, pick the team to go up in the birds, right?" And I'm like, "Oh, Matt, like I got to go and tell a bunch of team guys like who goes up in the birds, like uh, <laughs> feeling a little bit like you know because they can go, who the hell are you?" But there was a couple of SWAT teams that had come up from. I don't know where they came, come up for that were supporting us in the team. So it was the core, like, SEAL team guys, Harry's boys, and then there was, this, you know, the other guys. 
Mm-hmm. And I went over to them and I said, hey, guys, listen, sort it out between yourself. I want eight guys on that bird. I want eight guys on that bird, right? And then they just started arguing with each other. It was the funniest thing. I'm like, hey, you guys are meant to be decision makers. Like, just get on the boat. <laughs> and then Harry Humphrey. And I really wanted to go on, right? Because all the way through Black Hawk Down, I'd never been on a Black Hawk. So I go over to Harry walks up to me and he goes, oh, get your boys and get on the bird. So I go on. And, and, and again, you'll appreciate this, like, for those that haven't been in the situation. We get on the Black Hawks strap ourselves in, you know, we're back to back. And I've got Jeff Reeves, you know, the, the seal behind me. And we take off. And it's like two black hawks flying around. And we got, um, originally we've got uh, two Apaches with us as well. Mm-hmm. But one of them had an issue, so that stayed down. The other one was right opposite me. And I, I'm looking with the doors open on a black hawk flying around like this. And I'm looking over, I'm like, this is possibly the coolest shit ever in the world. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. he doesn't, and, and Jeff, like, hits me like this, right? And it's super loud, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, just so you know, this shit never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, great. You know, totally geeking out, like, going around, you know. And then, uh, you yeah. know, obviously, I went Optimus Prime and all that crap. It was, it was really amazing. Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, yeah, you're in Transformers for crying out loud. And yeah, we've had Jeff, Jeff Reeves on the show and he's, uh, I don't know if you stay in touch with him, but he lives right here. He lives like literally two minutes away from me here in the Dallas area. So you guys are, yeah, yeah, you guys are pretty close. Yeah. 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 He's here. I haven't seen him since I've been, been here because I've been so busy, but I was like, dude, you know, it's like, like, dude, you're here. I'm like, yeah, I'm here. You're here. Yeah. 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 So he's a, but he was right next to me. Uh, um, when we did that so we had we had a lot of good memories me and jeff he's a good dude that's pretty cool that is cool well it sounds like man you've had this action career and uh, a lot of cool movies obviously big names that uh i'm sure everyone who listens to my podcast have watched at least a couple of times and uh, but all that action now we're going to turn it into a, a hypothetical crisis scenario for you so are you ready to uh, see if you can survive this podcast we will be right back after the break. Ready as I'll ever be. All right. <laughs> well, we've got a, uh, you know, a lot of these scenarios will kind of sound and start the same, but uh, Jeff is good. Jeff, the, one of the producers, is good at mixing it up. So don't think for a second that you're, list- you're about to listen or hear the same scenario. So here we go. Um, you've just had a new film come out. And you're press, you're on a press tour on the East Coast. Okay, you have a free night. All right, so you go out for a few drinks. Uh, after a fun night out, Uber drops you off at the front of your hotel. All right, and the Uber drives away. As you uh, stumble towards the entrance, uh, a car pulls out uh, and pops the trunk open. A guy hops out of the passenger seat. He grabs you from behind and tries to force you into the trunk. You're a big guy, so, of course, you start to resist. And uh, the driver goes ahead and gets out and helps. All right? So now it's a two-on-one, right? And uh, you're face down on the ground, and the driver pulls out zip ties. Okay? So do you, A, Fight as hard as you can, not not to get your hands zip tied and tied up behind you. Or B, as they zip tie your wrist, press your palms together at thumb level, 
so that it keeps your hands kind of open and you flex your wrist back. I would do the second one if there was a chance that they that I wasn't going to get out of the first scenario because I knew that that would give me an opportunity to get out of the, the ties. That's I right. Really want to go. I don't want to go to the second location, right? I don't want them to get me there, but if it looks like they're going to get me there, I need to have an opportunity to get out of that situation. That's right. Exactly. You want to, uh, you're outgunned, you're outnumbered, you're taking severe blows to the head. You always want to temporarily give in. Um, you know, it's okay to resist and fight like, like this scenario draws out. Um, but there is a point when you go, wait a minute, you know, I want to maintain life. I don't want to get knocked out and I want to set myself up for the escape later. Um, and so, you know, how you present yourself at that moment in time can make it a lot easier for you you know, to get a clean breakaway later. And so you do that. Um, now you're zip tied and you're in the trunk. The vehicle is moving. So do you a kick up as hard as you can to try and escape from the trunk or B maybe try and kick out the brake lights. I'd try and kick out the brake lights, uh, because there's more chance that a coffee is going to be able to, you know, stop. There will be a chance the cop will be able to stop them if they see a light out. Or, um, and also, what are the chances of me being able to kick out of a trunk? <laughs> Slim to none, because there's actually for you, especially, there is zero room for you to like rear back <laughs> and like hit the trunk. I mean, the trunk is probably going to be, uh, you know, as it gets closed, it's probably going to be sitting on your shoulder. You know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. like you've got a lot of space to build up any momentum in any of your limbs in order to break something other than maybe the back seats, which we can talk about. But the, uh, yeah, the brake light. So older model cars, you used to be able to kick out like the, the entire brake light and then you could stick your arm out and actually wave, right? Hmm. And people could see an arm hanging out. Now, these days with these newer cars, it's pretty much closed up. The frame is right there, but you can pull the wiring harness, you know, and totally kill the brake light so that hopefully um, a cop sees that or someone sees that and reports it. Um, so, yeah, you got to get creative in the trunk for sure. Um, but yeah, some simple stuff. So you're still, you're still zip tied hands behind your back, by the way. And you notice uh, a greasy rag, a bob pen and a can of, de of compressed air, you know, the keyboard cleaner kind of, you know, uh, compressed air in the trunk with you. So maybe you can use that stuff later. Hint, hint. Um, the car slows to a stop and the assailants get out. You hear them, uh, greeted by a dog, right? So you know there's a dog in the area. Uh, then their voices fade, um, and now you have to get these zip ties you know, off your wrist. So do you, A, roll on your side, or B, roll on your stomach? Ooh. Oh, that, this is a guess now. It says roll <laughs> on my side. Yeah. Exactly. But what, I mean, so, I mean, think about it, the trunk first, you know, like we already know, there's not a whole lot of space to be rolling on your stomach yeah. and, um, well, yeah, the, you, the trunk is going to be longer that way. Right. Yeah. So rather than if I'm, if I'm on my stomach again, like how am I going to move? I'm not going to be able to get here, but at least on my side, I can bring my legs up. That's right? right. Now you're thinking, so rolling on your side will help you reposition your hands to the front, right? If your hands are behind your back, 
one of the first things you should work on is like, okay, how do I get out of them and get out of them in a, an efficient way? And that is to pull your hands down around your ass to the back of your knees, pull your knees up to your chest, and then your feet through your wrists. And now your hands are up front. And, it, and this is not everyone can pull this off, especially in a confined environment. Uh, but it can be done. And uh, for those listening, this is something you can do with the family on a Friday night, you know, zip tie each other up and see who can pull their ass through their hands, because that's the hardest part of the whole thing. Once you get them to behind your knees, and it's a lot easier after that. Um, So anyway, with your wrist now in front of you, you have a better chance of defeating the restraints. So do you, A, uh, try to bite through the restraints, um, because they're zip ties, or B... Use one of the objects you saw in the trunk to defeat the zip ties. Well, I'd definitely say the the second because I've tried to, you know, you can't buy through those zip ties, especially yeah. with British teeth. It doesn't matter that they're jagged. Yeah, so I'd definitely use, I'd use whatever tools we have there to, uh, to, to get out of them. Well, that, you're the first Brit that's actually uh, identified that out loud, the whole uh, British teeth thing. Like, what's up with the Brits and their teeth? Yeah. Hey, listen, look, look, look. <laughs> You've ha- are those porcelain or are those real? No, no they're real. They're real. <laughs> they look beautiful. And I'm um, sticking to it. That's yeah. right. There you go. So you're one of the few Brits with uh, a nice grill. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. You're going to use one of the objects uh, to uh, get out. So... You have a bobby pin, okay? Biting isn't going to work, just like you identified. So, But a bobby pin, which is great, if you know, if you really pay attention to how zip ties work, it's a very simple little mechanism. There, There's a little piece of plastic in there that operates as a ratchet, and that little, rat, that little piece of plastic gets hung on the teeth, right? So that's what makes the clicking sound. So all you're going to do is take the bobby pin, slide it in between the teeth in the ratchet and all of a sudden your zip ties come free right so you gotta take a look at these things and get a bobby pin and play with it and you'll see just how easy it is to get out of these things so those of you listening take time look at that stuff um all right so now your hands are free so a kick and push ferociously on the trunk lid uh and car seat to try and find a way out or B, take a moment and assess. See if there's any other objects you can use to help your escape. I definitely take the second. Yeah, yeah. I definitely assess that. You know, and look at the other things in the trunk. I have an idea of what I could use in the trunk, and now you gave me that. But yeah. I'll, I'll wait and see. I'm sure there are going to be other uh, <laughs> other questions coming. Yeah, so, but yeah. No, you're right. You're you're spot on. Your hands are free. You assess. Um, you know, and there's a car jack. Every car, most car jacks, there's a car jack in the trunk sitting there with you. Sometimes it's under you, and it can be a little bit of an obstacle to try and get your body weight off of that that false cover to get to it. But usually those false covers are kind of made out of like this, you know, high-density cardboard if it's a cheaper car. Um, and then some of them are plastic. It's an actual plastic door, trap door you can lift open. But the... That uh, that car jack, man, it's a great tool. It's easy. It allows you to save your energy. Basically, set it up and start cranking away. Um, every now and then, you got cre- you got to get creative because the jack won't extend as high 
as the height from the bottom of the trunk to the top of the, you know, the bottom of the actual trunk compartment to the actual trunk lid can sometimes exceed the height of the jack. So then what you do mm-hmm. is you just have to stack something up. And usually in a trunk, you've got a tire, you've got other things you can actually stack up. And now you just start cranking away and mechanically you're going to pop the trunk open. Um, and now you've still got energy to do whatever needs to be done when you get out, which could be, you know, I don't know. We'll find out. So here we go. Um, the truck, the trunk pops open. All right. So a run like hell or B take objects with you, uh, that could help continue your, your, uh, your escape, which, uh, maybe wink, wink, can of air. Yeah, well, I'm certainly not going to run like hell if there's a dog around. That's for sure. So I'm <laughs> yeah. gonna I'm gonna try and find any kind of weapon that would or, or tool that would be useful for me to proceed to the next uh, problem solving. Area, there you go. You know. Yeah, you're, you're once again you're dead on here. Um, yeah, while a quick escape is important, you know you're not going to outrun a dog, and you don't know if you're inside of a fence line. You don't know what what kind of what's going to come your way. So. You kind of have to have the mentality of as soon as the lid opens, I'm going into fight mode. Um, And one of the things that can help is certainly uh, that can of compressed air. Because when you turn it upside down, uh, it lets out a freezing mist. Um, And one of the tricks we used to use if we were going into an occupied target, whether it had, you know, people asleep or a dog, and you knew there was a dog, you could crack that door open where that dog's nose is right there turn that can of air upside down and then freeze their nose and uh we did it one night froze the nose and then when you come back again that dog is like nope don't want my nose frozen again they don't even mess with you now if it's a trained mike ritland dog then that might not work but with your average uh, guard dog freezing their nose uh goes a long ways and you're not having to kill the dog or drug the dog or do something stupid to the dog because we all love dogs um so do you, uh, oh, I just gave it up. I just got on a rant. So do you, A, throw the can of air at the dog, <laughs> or, no. B, or B, turn the can <laughs> over and spray the freezing cold air in the dog's face? Well, I already answered yeah. that for you, so uh, that's a gimme. Um, so you neutralize the dog and you take off running. Um, as you round a corner, okay, you run straight into one of these bad guys, and now he's pointing a gun at your chest. Okay, so do you A, kick them in the nuts, or B, you want to basically trap, pivot, and strip the gun from him? Well, I don't have the skill to trap and pivot the gun. I mean, (laughs) you know, for me, all all I'm thinking right now is I just want that away from from my chest, right, as best as I can possibly get it. Yeah. So I I know that's not one of the options. It kind of is. It kind because you're trapped. If you're if you're going to grab the gun in any way, that's yeah. really trapping the gun. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I just want to get him. Like, like if I can get that weapon away. Like, I can't take a chest a shot to the chest, but I can. You know, it's not going to kill me if he hits me in the arm. Right. As we've seen from things that are going on right now in the media. So yeah. I just want to. You know, as long as I can get that gun away from my center mass or from my head or anything like that. That's what I do. I think when you kick him, because all the, you know, they might pull the trigger if I kick him in the nuts. It might go like that. You know. That's right. That's so, right. Um, yeah, I think you process of elimination. You know, B is right, and you pivot and trap. You know, trapping the gun just means okay. I just got to get my hands on it. 
Uh, number two, the pivot is what gets your body out of the way so it's not pointed at you any longer. You can also drive it to the sky or drive it to the ground. Um, you know, in these situations, there's no right or wrong. It's just come out alive is the goal. Um, yeah. So you do this, right? You did the right thing. Um, you, you've got the gun trapped and you get into a little bit of a struggle, right? He's, he, as soon as you grab the gun, he's basically trying to pull it back away from you. So do you, A, yank forward and strip the gun away, or B, control and drive the barrel towards the enemy's chest? I'll push it towards him. There you go. You know, because really, when you look at the anatomy and physiology of hands, it's the fingers and the wrists, and they're not that strong once you start driving them in the opposite direction in which they're meant to operate. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> like, you know, breaking the finger control that's wrapped around the gun and then breaking the wrists that are locked up when they're pointed forward. But as soon as you start driving those things towards themselves, they usually uh, break free, which gives you the advantage. Um, you control and drive towards the chest, uh, then drive it over, and then now you can yank forward and strip the gun from that what was a tight grip isn't tight anymore um so now you have his weapon and you command him onto his knees all right so final question do you a take two steps into a hard punch into the enemy's chin and ensure a good old-fashioned knockout or b slowly back away keeping your attacker at gunpoint uh and then once you're at least 10 yards or so, you know, move into the darkness and away from uh, the bad guy. Number two, he's got B. So, you know, either, um, you know, this is one of those where you either one's right. I mean, you know, like if you have the opportunity, especially muzzle strike, right? You got that weapon and you just drive that barrel into their face. It's going to knock them out. Um, but keep in mind, with enough adrenaline and power, a muzzle strike can be fatal. Because uh, it's easy to break off basically uh, a chunk of their forehead, the skull, and lodge it into their brain. Um, and then keeping them at gunpoint and backing away. There's no right or wrong here. It's, uh, it's really uh, based on your level of capability, your mindset, and where you're at, and what's going on around you. Once again, the environment and your surroundings uh, will dictate everything for you, no doubt about it. Um, hey. Can I just found that? I, I yeah, think yeah. That, I think that. You know, you have an ideal scenario, right, where you are capable of doing all these things and, and you have, that's what I was saying, like, about the movement of the gun. And I've, I've been fortunate, I've trained with, with a couple of your guys, um, and you realize the capability of other people. So I never underestimate the capability of the other person that is opposite me. That's right. And if I, you know, I mean, I am a big guy, you know, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to knock someone out, you know, especially the bigger, you know, the more, the more mass you have behind you when they said you have a hard object can neutralize the other person. I, for me, I wouldn't want to, if I knew that I could do that, like I have a friend of mine who's a boxer and he knows that he can knock anybody out. Like he's, he's, I've seen him do it like multiple times. For me, it'd be more prudent to move away. Like I said, I mean, I, I, I'm not as, it's not movies to me, you know, yeah. real life is not a movie to me. So, you know, you might get some person that thinks, well, you know, I can punch this guy out and, and you don't know the capability of the other person. So that, no, that was behind my reasoning behind it. Yeah, you are. You're, you're spot on because a lot of times, 
I think some of the answers that we give in these scenarios surprise people. Like, oh, maybe I should give in to the bad guys. Like, nobody would expect that. But the reality is, is your capability is what drives the decisions. If you're not that capable, if you're not an MMA fighter, and you're not doing it on a regular basis, then what makes you think that you're going to be able to pull this off in a real deal event where giving in for a couple of minutes or at most, you know, the 10 or 15 minutes that it takes for them to do whatever so that you can then have a successful escape. You know, there, it's once again, there's no right or wrong. It's really you got to take a hard look at yourself and then when it's in a certain situation, go, OK, what's realistic for me to do right now? Um, and you keep your wits about you as key, you know, um, getting shot or taking blows to the head, uh, doesn't exactly allow you to keep your wits about you, you know, and it's your wits that keep you alive at the end of the day with a lot of this stuff. Um, so yeah, if you're a badass, then be a badass and, uh, you know, beat skulls, shoot people in the face and all that good stuff. But if you're not, you know, look for other ways to uh, get yourself out of these dangerous situations. Um, hey, congratulations. You have survived this podcast. I think you only missed one, and then I gave you one. So, yeah, you did really, really well, man. And, uh, you know, um, where can people find out more about what you have going on? I know that uh, I got a link to uh, your latest, greatest project that's coming out soon. So why don't we plug that and, and anything else you want to plug real quick? All right. Well, you, you can go to MatthewMarsden.com. Uh, that's my webpage. I also have, uh, I'm at Matthew D. Marsden on Twitter. Uh, the, the project you're talking about is actually about what a veteran goes through when he comes home. And uh, Ranger Gary O'Neill, who is uh, a bit of a badass, yeah. said that it's the best depiction of what a warfighter goes through when he comes home that he's ever, he's ever seen. So I, I basically took all the elements. I was fed up of hearing the way that Hollywood was treating veterans, you know, they come home, oh, they're this, they're that, they're, you know, all these other things. So that's not my experience with the individuals that I knew. So I wrote a screenplay and sent it around to my friends who were combat veterans in multiple tours in, in multiple different um, environments, including like Craig Stoyer, um, uh, another team guy. Um, and I, I basically went through and wanted to show, you know, as you said earlier, like there is a family that is a different kind of family. Mm-hmm. And when your priority is staying alive and looking after these individuals, there are, the other family often, you know, it becomes strained because of that. And, and even though that individual might be saying, hey, listen, I'm doing those hours down the range. I'm doing those hours in the gym so I can come home to you. You know, very often this side of things says, well, you're not here for this. You're not here for that. And when the the other individual is saying, I've got to come home, right? I'm trying to come home. And I also want to make sure my team buddies come home as well. So that, that was the basis of the film and the impact it is on the family and how sometimes um, – you can be talking past one another in a relationship, yeah. which I've heard a thousand times. Like, you know, someone say, well, you're not doing this when really, you know, the warfighter is actually doing that, but not necessarily communicating it. And, and the, the wife or the family is not communicating those things the other way. So I, I wanted to put that in a movie and kind of package it in a, um, in an action scenario. So, uh, 
it's funny you mentioned that earlier on because that's something that's really, you know, close to me. Being, but kind of being one of those guys because I'm kind of in the community but not in the community, you know. Mm-hmm. So I get a lot of guys talking to me where they don't necessarily talk to the other. I mean, you know what it's like. I mean, there are so many veterans charities out there for veterans, and veterans don't feel like they can go and talk to the talk to those charities. But when they see something up on a on screen they can relate to it and go, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to do. And that, or, oh, I see that. Or, and certainly for the families as well, to see in this kind of, you know, objective manner yeah. rather than when it's, when it's subjective and it's, it's, it's affecting your life on a daily basis really helps, you know. So that was my aim with that. I know that's a, it's a convoluted way of saying, look, there's a movie <laughs> you should go and see. But, but I think you understand, you know, you understand the, the motivation behind doing yeah. it because, you know, my guys, you know, they say, God, I hear another thing about like a veteran coming home and drinking, you know, a bottle of Jack Daniels. And, you know, I, you know, most of them aren't like that at all. And, um, you know, they might be dealing with things in their own way. Um, and, and it's internalized a lot of the time it's internalized and, and, you know, very often that means, that people can't or don't really want to express themselves. So I kind of put all that in the movie. There's a lot of secret sauce for veterans in there, you know, that the regular folks won't get. Um, And, uh, and after it's funny because after doing Black Hawk Down, I'm like, I'll always have a bond to the Ranger Regiment. I've never played a Navy SEAL. So the character's a Navy SEAL. Uh, Yeah. He's a dev crew guy. So you might oh. recognize the, the, the cap <laughs> in it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I'll check. You know, I started to push play, and then I realized, whoa, this is actually a full-blown movie. So yeah, what's a, what's the name of the movie, and when is it coming out? It's called I Am That Man. I Am That Man. Uh, you can you can actually get it on DVD right now, but we're just doing deals to get it onto Amazon. And, and, all, and uh, all I want it to be is if people are going through a difficult scenario, like my dream is that veterans can just say to their wives or wives can say to their husbands, watch this. Yeah. No, I think that's a, yeah, that's a great cause. And that's a best way to do it because, you know, through a movie, you know, they can, you know, whatever the, the, the scenario is, they're going to, and especially if you've done all the research and you've got a lot of blessings from a lot of guys who've been there, done that, then yeah, it's, it sounds like it's going to be a great answer to maybe some families that are having some issues out there. Yeah, well, you can give me a call after you watch it and tell right, me if, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> if uh, I achieve the objective, right? Because you try, <laughs> you set out to do something, sometimes, you know, you don't get it, but from the response that I've had, you know, and, and if it can save one marriage, if it can save one guy, and, you know, that that would, uh, it's all worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that sounds awesome, man. So there you go, everyone. You can check him out at uh, MatthewMarsden.com. That's where all of his projects and past projects are. You can check him out at Twitter. Uh, Hey, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you very much. It's awesome hanging out with you um, and hearing your stories and everything that you've accomplished. Um, And like I always say to everyone listening, Keep it simple because crisis will complicate the rest. And thank you for listening. And as usual, we appreciate five stars and comments on all platforms because that's what keeps us moving forward. So thanks. And until next time, be safe out there. 
Can You Survive This Podcast is a production of Calvary Audio and iHeartMedia. Recorded live from a secure location here in Dallas, Texas. Produced by Brandon Morgan, Jeff Apple, and Clint Emerson. Executive produced by Keegan Rosenberger and Dana Brunetti. For Calvary Audio, I'm Clint Emerson.